You are listening to Building the Future, Green Building in the New Millennium, brought to you by SustainableHomesOfTheFuture.com. I'm your host, Ian Sollenberger, and this podcast is for anyone that wants to collaborate and learn more about how to design and construct energy-efficient buildings for an environmentally sustainable future. If you have questions about how to design and build with a lower environmental impact, or you'd like to come on our show as a guest, please email me directly at info at SHF, that's Sustainable Homes of the Future, shfbuild.com. Uh, visit our website at shfbuild.com or find us on Facebook and Instagram at shfbuild. Our mission with this podcast is to inspire you, our listeners, to go out and be sustainability advocates. Share these ideas so we can truly push this industry forward. We need each and every one of you to help us build the future today. Well, thank you everybody for joining us today, the Building the Future, Green Building in the New Millennium podcast. Uh, We explore everything sustainability in the built environment as well as the human environment. and today, I'm very excited to be joined by Jesse Russell, who is the owner-operator of Hiatus Homes up in Bend, Oregon. And uh, I'll just, a little, little brief preamble, but, but thank you, Jesse, for being with us. Uh, really yeah, great it. to be here, man. I'm really excited about what you're doing and promoting this type of building uh, is awesome. Thank you for even having me. Yeah, for sure. Um, glad to have you. And it is hot here in LA. Uh, I'll start out the podcast by saying it's hot. And we're talking about something that's a little outside of the box today. Um, you know, traditionally we're talking about single family, we're talking about maybe ADUs, some commercial, you know, things like that. Um, we were talking about tiny homes today. Uh, and so Jesse has, uh, I'll let him speak to, to what he's done, but I, I figured I'd wear my Hawaiian shirt for the outside of the box, uh, <laughs> talk today, as well as the fact that it's 93 degrees here in Santa Monica. Where, where are you located? And, uh, tell us a little bit about, was this a lifelong dream or did it come from, uh, from an experience that you had or how was hiatus homes, uh, born? Oh yeah. So yeah, my name is Jesse Russell. Um, yeah, I live in Bend, Oregon. Um, I grew up here and, uh, had a long career, uh, as a reality television producer and was in New York and then uh, in Los Angeles for the last part of it. Um, and, you know, I was starting to get to the point where I really just wanted to move back to Bend and back to Oregon. It's, it's always been my hometown. And um, I was trying to figure out a way to do that. And part of my job at, at that time was to go around to networks, uh, TV networks, and ask them what kind of shows they were looking for. And there was a network called FYI, and they were going to launch their network with a show called uh, Tiny House Nation, which if you know Tiny Houses is a really famous show now. But yeah, one of my favorites, at that time, my wife and I's favorite. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, I just, I love that show. And, uh, but I had, at that point, I'd never heard of Tiny Houses. Um, I went back to my office and, you know, like anybody who has gotten into Tiny Houses, right when I saw the images of them, uh, I, I dropped into an internet hole that lasted for, you know, five years, basically. Um, <laughs> And uh, I just was in love with the design, uh, the ingenuity that people had. Um, you know, I had always, as a kid, uh, when I started having to pay rent, I just couldn't believe that, you know, you had to pay rent. Um, so I would, I would find laundry rooms that I could rent for 50 bucks and, you know, put the, the bed up on milk crates. And I lived above a carport for a while that, uh, wow. you know, I put some visqueen and, and uh, insulation in and got some carpet samples. And <laughs> I think that was 75 bucks a month, but... Um, yeah, I always just, uh, you know, the expense of, of rent was always a problem for me. And man, when I got to Los Angeles and started paying the rents there, I couldn't believe it. Um, you know, and weirdly, uh, 
once I, once I saw these tiny houses, I just, I thought this was something that would really work in Bend. So um, did you want to actually live, live in one yourself? Was that, was that sort of the, the impetus? You were like, Hey, I could do this. And I think others would too, or was it more, you just saw the uh, business opportunity? Well, it was kind of a combination of both, you know, uh, at that time, I was really just uh, disenchanted with Los Angeles and disenchanted with my career that I'd chosen and, um, you know, was doing a lot of kind of self-work, I guess. You know, I was going to yoga sure. camps and trying to meditate and all, doing all that stuff and um, uh, trying to figure out how to, you know, to get back to Bend. And um, so when I saw the tiny houses, um, you know, I had been coming back and forth to Bend. My, my parents were still here and everything. Um, and Bend had had a really crazy... Uh, growth. You know, it, it has grown like uh, exponentially and it's really uh, started to have an affordable housing crisis as well. So when I saw the tiny houses, I thought, you know, this is, this is a great way for me to get back to Bend. Um, it's a great way for me to minimize my own life. I sold all my stuff um, that I had in, in uh, Los Angeles. And I called my, my childhood friend Kit up here and uh, he, he's always been a really handy guy and um, had a big shop outside of town. I said, Hey man, I don't know if you've heard of tiny houses, but I want to come build one. We help me. He said, yeah, no problem. Uh, you can move in with me and my family and live in the shop and uh, I'll help you build the first tiny house. And that's how I ended up back here. That's cool. And so it started with just one. Yeah, it was just one. <laughs> yeah, it was just one. And boy, I'll tell you what, one of the interesting things I think was, um, you know, without YouTube, I, I had done some building, but I was, you know, I didn't grow up with a dad that was a master craftsman or anything like that. And mm-hmm. while Kit's super handy, he still had a job in the day. So, um, yeah, without YouTube and all the uh, instructional videos that are out there, I'm not sure I would have got through the that first build. Um, <laughs> I think it took about six or eight months. Uh, but, you know, back to that, that kind of thing where I was at, you know, in LA trying to kind of figure everything out and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, doing meditation and yoga and exercise and read, you know, there's all those things I was trying to do that all kind of melted away. Cause like once you, once you start building something, uh, it's really interesting. Um, when you're cutting something or measuring something or, or doing anything that's required to, to build a home, uh, your mind is occupied enough that it's really difficult to kind of have that existential, uh, uh, thoughts over and over during the day. And that was always my problem. I kind of was always, uh, lost somewhere in the clouds and, I think building that house really brought, it really grounded me. And it was one of the best experiences of my life. Once I finished it, um, as anyone that's built a tiny house and lived in it, um, it's just an amazing experience to wake up in the morning and something that you worked so hard to build and uh, to, to live in it, uh, you know, wake up and have your coffee and come down from the loft and uh, get your day started. Um, there really is something to it. And it's why this movement continues to, continues to go, I think. And tell me a little bit about the space. I mean, what, what is the, what are the unique features of, of tiny homes that allow, you know, a, in some cases less than 200 square foot footprint. I know yours, yours are a little bit larger than that with the ones you're doing with hiatus, but um, you know, that one on wheels, what was your square footage and how did you get around some of the, the challenges of, you know, only having eight feet wide and uh, 13 and a half feet tall. And, and how did, how did some of those ideas come about? Um, was it pragmatism or what was it? Yeah. Well, I mean, the first thing is you start with the trailer, right? Like that's the first thing that, that you have to, you have to think about if you're doing a tiny house on wheels and that immediately, um, I can't remember who said this, but I think it's really true. You know, just having a blank page is, is hard is I think harder to create something than if you have some sort of uh, parameters. And Mm -hmm. I think that trailer is, is really where a lot of this design ingenuity came from. 
Um, cause you know, we have, you can do an eight foot trailer or you can do a 10 foot trailer. If you have a 10 foot wide trailer, um, you know, you need a special permit to move it. So, um, you know, we built on an eight foot wide trailer, um, and that, that made it. So that's, that was the width we had, you know, and it was 20, 20 feet long at that point, you know, now there's iron Eagle trailers in Portland and we, we started purchasing those trailers that, um, that were built specifically for tiny houses. But at that time we took an old car trailer and converted that. Um, and that took a long time. And, uh, but once you, once you had your trailer done, um, you know, there's, there's not a lot you can do in, in 400 square feet, it would seem at first, but boy, there is, once you start adding all the, the lofts and, and where you're going to put your bathroom versus your, uh, your kitchen. And then, you know, does the door, uh, open up on the side? You know, we did that, uh, to, to have a deck next to it. Nice. Um, there really is a lot of options and then the finishes come into it. Um, but yeah, it, it was, a uh, it was just a combination of kind of looking at a lot of other tiny houses, getting inspiration from that, and then uh, picking and choosing the, the the places we wanted to change and, you know, what what really just appealed to us, I guess. Design-wise. And had you ever designed anything before? No, never. No, I, I had never done any kind of architectural uh, design or, um, you know, anything like that. I worked, you know, I, when I was in television, um, I ended up being a... Um, a co-executive producer, which is the person that kind of runs the show. They, you know, they deal with the budget, they deal with the schedules, they deal with the shooting, they deal with the editing. Um, and I always liked that because there was a combination of, of kind of organizational challenges, but then there was also, there was also a, uh, uh, a kind of artistic um, part to it. Um, and so I think that, you know, I think for me that those skills kind of helped out with, uh, with the building and the design, I think is just more about, um, knowing what I like and what looks good, I guess. I just kind of, that's how I go from, I just kind of go from my gut. If it feels right, then, then I choose it. You know, sometimes, um, it's again, back to that blank page, you know, it, it's much easier for me to see someone else's house and know what I'd change about it than just trying to create it from, uh, from scratch. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's interesting, tiny homes give you the opportunity, give the average person the opportunity to come in and, you know, on a, basic level have some design input in a way that they might not as much when you're dealing with all these structural engineering elements of a traditional home. Um, you know, tiny homes give you the opportunity to say, okay, we know exactly what this framing is going to look like now. Now, what do you want to do, you know, on the inside? It's sort of a fun blend of design and, and interior design, um, you know, and thinking through all the, all the different options, but also you can customize it. You know, that, that's, that's yeah. the, the really fun part to be able to customize a home to the point where everything's measured out and you're finding a place, you know, if you're a, uh, I play the cello, for instance, you know, like if you're a cellist, mm -hmm. you're going to, okay, where am I going to put my cello? Yeah, where's so your cello? <laughs> am I going to build a false floor that's going to, I'm going to be able to put it down in the false floor and how does right, that work? Right. Um, what did you learn, you know, in doing that? What, what were some of the big things you learned about, uh, sustainability and about um how 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 home functions you know maybe some things that that you hadn't thought about before um assuming you know you said you lived all kinds of places you poured concrete you knew at least about uh insulation on the top of that carport so you know what was your level of <laughs> understanding of how a home worked before and and how has that changed and how has that changed you 
Oh yeah. I mean, I think I understood kind of the basics that everyone understood, uh, understands. I mean, I know I understood a foundation, I understand a roof, uh, but you know, as far as like plumbing, uh, electrical, um, how that all functions together, the envelope of a house and insulation is, is such an important thing that I think the average person doesn't really know about. Um, and it's such a, it's, it's something that really, really affects the sustainability of, of everybody's home and, and the effects of, of having to, you know, heat and supply water and uh, all of the utilities that come along with, with a larger home or, or a non, uh, a home that isn't insulated very well. I started to learn about that. You know, the mm -hmm. other thing I started to learn about is that sustainability can be really, really expensive. Um, it can also be uh, illegal. Um, you know, we, we originally, uh, you know, I think the tiny house movement, one of the cool things about it is uh, cool and difficult things about it, especially the ones on wheels is that there's no building official coming by to, you know, make sure that you have done anything correct. Um, so, right. you know, people are really relying on, you know, know how that they maybe already have or some advice from the internet or maybe a person that, that knows how to do it. Um, but a lot of the innovation kind of got, you know, from that came from that, you know, like, so we, you know, we looked into the toilet, like how are, you know, there's all these composting toilets, right? Mm -hmm. So um, we got a composting toilet and that was the separate, I forget, I think separate 2000 or 9000. I can't even remember at this point, yeah. Swedish design. Um, you know, it has a bucket that catches the stool and then it diverts the urine. And when the urine is diverted, um, you know, it's, it's sterile. It's fine. You can, you know, it becomes gray water really. So mm -hmm. what we did is we had, you know, we had our urine divert and all of our gray water divert out of the back of the house and into, uh, into a flower bed, you know, where we grew, where we grew, uh, um, where we were growing flowers. Um, and we just thought that was the coolest idea ever. Well, that's totally illegal. Like yeah. <laughs> having a, having a composting to toilet in Bend is not even, they don't even allow it. Uh, um, you know, and a you great have to book treat your there. gray water, right? In, in certain ways. Yeah. If you're yeah. going to use it I mean, even it, for plants. Even for plants, you know, yeah. and you know, even composting human feces, like you actually, you know, if it's composted correctly, you can use it to grow, uh, grow vegetables. Uh, mm -hmm. Other countries do this, uh, uh, you know, all over the world. Um, but you know, there's a great book, Humanure. And uh, if you, you read that book, I think the, the thing, my big takeaway was, you know, Americans are really scared of their own shit. You know, they don't want to see it. They don't want it to be around. Um, so yeah. So in the sustainability thing, you know, it's not just about us having the technology to do it. Um, and I mean that from composting toilets to solar, uh, to being off grid, um, you know, mm -hmm. all of that stuff, uh, cause we, you know, that was our, our big thing and still our big thing is to try to at some point have a totally off grid community. Um, and, uh, it's, uh, it's not just the cost and it's not just where we are with technology. It's mostly where we are with policy, you know, which is crazy yeah. to think about. Yeah. Um, and especially, I mean, I've learned a lot uh, in the last couple of years about California specifically. Um, I know Oregon's a little bit different, but let's, let's get into, cause Ultimately, Hiatus Homes, you guys have a development. Um, you created yeah. a, a tiny home development. And so uh, kind of segue into that a little bit. But I know, you know, even having a development down here that doesn't hook up to gas, you know, until about two years ago or three years ago, um, that was actually technically illegal uh, for some reasons in California. Um, I just learned yeah. from, from a guy, you know, who, who works in energy and you know, that blew my mind. I was like, what do you mean? 
yeah. you can't. Like why, if you wanted to have a house and you designed it really efficiently and you had solar panels and that's all you needed, what do you mean you can't be off grid? And it's true. Yeah. That, that a lot of the laws are, you know, sort of prescribing us to live in a certain way and to build in a certain way because that's the infrastructure that exists now. And, uh, you know, people's jobs and companies and things like that would be on the line if they weren't. But, you know, humans, uh, you know, we are innovators, I think. And so, yeah, it's only a matter of time before some of those laws change. Why don't, why don't you talk about um, some of the challenges and, and some of the things you were able to accomplish with your development as far as zoning and, and, uh, and laws up there in Oregon kind of give us the lay of the land. Oh yeah, what sure. Was necessary. Yeah. So, you know, when we finished the first hiatus on wheels, we were in the Ben design conference um, and uh, we had a talk, you know, we had like an hour to do this talk or whatever. There were so many people that signed up for this thing. We had to, we had to add another talk to the, to the deal. Cause people were just so excited about, you know, what, what these tiny houses were, you know, yeah. and I went to our, uh, our assistant city manager, um, you know, with the house. And I said, Hey, I, before this conference starts, I want to live in the house. Uh, it was parked behind the library downtown. I want to live in the house so people can kind of see, cause I had, it was out at the shop uh, outside of town for a long time. And I was living in it there. Yeah. I wanted people to see like, not just this pristine kind of staged model home. I wanted it to look like, Hey, I've been living in this and I could really speak to that. And they wouldn't allow it. They're like, Hey, we can call this RV storage, but like, yeah, there's no way you can't, you can't live in this downtown. Wow. And I just thought that was incredible. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, look at it. It's, it's framed like a, a regular house. And I was naive, right? I was totally naive at that point to how building code worked or right. how city processes worked. And, um, and I got to tell you, man, I have, I've had a, a doctorate in that over the last uh, five <laughs> years of trying to do this development yeah. um, and all good. Like not, I, I am not a, Hey, the city of Bend is, is a horrible city and they don't know what they're doing and whatever they're not that they're just they're set up and it's a really slow moving uh train to try to innovate on uh, Mm because there's so there's so many layers to it um so that you know that has been just uh you know such a challenge and so you know we had that that we did the design conference i didn't live in the house we had it in the back back to the library it was it went great people loved it um but you know i had a i had a rendering of trying to do five houses on that lot and there was absolutely no way that was going to happen at that time um so i just kept building you know we built a tiny tavern we built some mini pubs for tin barrel brewing here in town we built a food truck we built another uh tiny tavern on wheels but the whole time i wanted to do this development mm-hmm. and finally in 2015 uh an architect in portland by the name of ross chapin uh, he has a great book called pocket neighborhoods i would highly suggest to anybody that cares about this kind of stuff awesome um he uh, he uh, wrote, you know, he wrote and, and kind of um, did this code called the cottage code. Uh, and um, basically what it was is you could take a piece of land um, and you could divide it up. There was no minimum lot size. Um, and there was in, in you know, Oregon at that point had no minimum uh, minimum square footage for the house itself. You run into weird building code where the stairs won't fit and stuff like that. But there wasn't any like explicit. You can't do this. Um, okay. So. I saw the cottage code and I was like, Hey, I think that's, this is our chance because yeah. previously in a residentially, this is going to get really boring for people that aren't into code, but I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to give it, give it a shot. You can fast in, forward in for red, like two minutes guys. If you're, just if you're fast forward code. two minutes yeah. fast. You don't care about this. Um, in residential single, which is what most of our, our lots are zoned in Bend, yeah. you can have the, a 4,000 square foot lot. 
So what that meant is our little house that had a footprint of, you know, uh, eight by 20, 160 square feet, we would have to put it on a 4,000 square foot lot and we could only have, um, you know, two houses would basically fit there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it just didn't make sense. There was Which no way. It doesn't cost out from a development standard. No, really. it just, yeah. it just doesn't. And then the cottage code came along, the city of Bend adopted it. And so that, that code by allowing for no minimum lot sizes, um, we were able to basically, um, you know, on a standard lot, uh, we could get four or five houses. Um, was that like a 7,500 or what are we talking about? Standard up there? The, I believe it was, uh, I think it was on a 10,000 square foot lot. So really more of a okay. double lot. Okay, we cool. had a thing where we drew up where we could get five houses on there. Um, but you couldn't do it until the cottage code was written. You know, previously you would actually only get a couple houses on there. So, um, we were in some other conference and uh, my, my buddy from here that I, I've known since we were in elementary school is a surveyor, um, land surveyor. So he drew it up. We were in the paper and then um, uh, an old boss, I worked at a, a heavy equipment rental place in my 20s. Hmm. Um, he's a big developer in Bend now and, um, and uh, a real estate person. He called me up and he said, hey, I saw you in the paper. I know you've not heard from me for 20 years, but I've got this property that I think your concept would really work on. And, uh, I was like, great, let's, let's go check it out. How, how big is it? And he said three acres. And I was like, no way, (laughs) no way. I want to do like four or five houses. I've never done anything like this. And, um, we went out and looked at the property. Um, it was a weird shaped property. It's kind of L shaped. Um, and I just said again to him, I was like, you know, that the property was, I think it was like 350,000, which I mean, today you'd never find that property for that price. Um, but that seemed like, seemed like a lot to me at that point. And, um, Especially yeah, if you said, know you're going to be planning on building 10 homes or something, you know, or 10 yeah. or 12 homes on there. Yeah. That's a big project yeah, so to take on. For sure. And I said to him like, no, this is way too big for me. And he said, look, I'll help you. I'll, you know, kind of mentor you through this process. And I think you can do it. I think you have a concept that, you know, people in Bend are going to love. Um, so yeah, through the cottage code, we were able to get 22 houses uh, on that property. Um and uh, we just sold the last house last month and finished. And it's been a, uh, I think it's been a huge success personally, uh, financially for the investors that took a chance on it. It's been great for them. And the, the people that live in it, they love the community. Um, you know, multiple people when I was turning the house over to them actually cried that they, they wanted to live in this way for so long. It was like, yeah, it was really touching. That's great. So, yeah. I mean, you, you and I have yeah. both watched, you know, Tiny Home Nation for anybody that hasn't. Yeah, you'll cry at the end of pretty much every episode, you know, because yeah, right. people really are, you know, everybody, most of the people that are, that are making that change in their life are doing it some kind of reason, something happened in their lives, some sort of transition, um, you know, or, or they just felt stuck, you know, and they yeah. want to move into a new, new environment, you know, one that, one that celebrates the outdoors, one that celebrates nature, um, so here's a little interesting, well, we can go back to, you know, some of the specifics of, about your development, but I'm curious, just theoretically, what would that look like? Or would that even, let's say LA or something like that, you know, mm. created a, a cottage code, or I guess a better question is, are there places now that Oregon has the cottage code? Like, could you go into Portland and do a similar thing if, if you found the right lot? in Portland or is that specific to just that region or just that municipality in, uh, 
I am not as up on the rest of, of Oregon or even the rest of the country on okay. you know, kind of what's happening with this. I would, I'd be surprised if you wouldn't find that, you know, it's, it's happening everywhere. Um, it's yeah. the, the housing crisis, the, the affordable housing crisis that's happening in Bend is happening nationally. It's happening even worse than in Bend in other places. Yeah. Um, and it, it comes from a couple different things. One is, it's really, really difficult to develop property. It takes a really long time. It's super risky. Um, and, and it takes, and it, by taking a long time, there's just, there's just isn't enough houses in the market for the, for the demand. Um, so, you know, a lot of these municipalities are looking at this. So, you know, we had a house bill 2001 that passed um, recently, and I'm on the stakeholders group for the city that's, uh, you know, seeing how we're going to adopt that code. That code is basically saying like, you know, in residential single, you need to allow for multi-family. And I yeah. think we're going to see in our lifetimes, we're going to see zoning go away completely. And yeah, just the state of California is doing that right now. Um, you know, and a lot of the individual uh, municipalities are, are trying to figure out what that looks like, you know, because every town's set up differently, every city's set up differently. And so it presents different challenges. It's, it's hard to imagine sort of a blanket law for an entire state that, when, when you're trying to specifically encourage density and things like that, but the cottage code is a really cool option because that's just saying, yes, you can. It's not saying yeah. we have to do this or, you know, we have to convert all of this land or whatever. It's just opening the door for people to think outside the box a little bit. And, um, and I think, yeah, there's certainly applications in a, I mean, here in Santa Monica, I don't think very many people know it, but there's a, a, a basically a, a trailer, uh, park that's over by one of the underpasses. There used to be about two or three of them in Santa Monica. And over the past 10 or 15 years, they've sort of winnowed it down to, to just one. But I mean, clearly that is an option. If, if, you, if you were allowed to do it and if uh, there was enough interest, which I certainly think there is, I mean, that's to allow somebody to buy their own home and be a homeowner um, in that way. That's the, you know, that's that, the key that's too. That's the key, and, exactly, yeah. yeah. Homeownership at a young age is, 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 uh, it's been shown over and over, like what, what great effects that has for that single person and also the community they live in. Um, you know, and the, what you run into, which we're running into Ben is the land cost too, right? So your land costs yeah. are so high. Um, uh, you know, they, they have this thing in, in, you know, land development, highest and best use, you know, so you look at a piece of land and traditionally the way that it's analyzed is, you know, what's the highest and best use of this land? What is it zoned? you know, what's it going to cost, you know, to do duplexes here? Can I do apartments? Can I, you know, whatever, you know, and, mm -hmm. then, and then that's put in a financial performance and it spits out a number and the developer looks at it and goes, you know, is that amount of money at the end of this five years? Uh, you know, is it worth doing this kind of thing? Right. And then, so when the land, when the land cost is super high, the only, to me, the only way to, to actually, cause I'm a real believer in affordable by design housing. Uh, after trying to, after, after trying to figure out how to make even one of our houses unaffordable with a capital A, meaning that there, there would be some sort of, uh, help from, uh, waiving, waiving building fees or whatever. Um, you have to be a huge company and understand that it's a really difficult thing to do. Um, so I believe affordable by design and the way to do that is to make the house smaller. There mm -hmm. are enough people, uh, in, in the U S who are really willing to, to reduce the amount of stuff they have and live in a smaller space. And because that is converging with this affordable housing problem, that's why I think, you know, that's why I think things have, th this development was so successful, you know, and I think 
it can be repeated. So then the high, highest and best use becomes like, oh, well, I can fit comfortably a bunch of small houses on that land. Whereas I could only, before I could only fit, you know, four 2,500 square foot houses, the average uh, house size in America, you know, maybe I can fit, um, you know, uh, double that or triple that for, for small houses. Mm -hmm. um, and then, and then people can, you know, more people will be able to afford that small house and start to start to have equity. And then, you know, once they have a family, maybe they use that equity to buy a larger house. Um, yeah, I'm now I'm rambling. There we go. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, that's great. Um, so talk about some of the sustainability, uh, you know, features. We, we talked about toilets and things like that and, you know, gray water systems a little bit. Um, what were you able to do then on the, you know, and the development, like when you're looking at 22 uh, instead of one, how does that scale change the way you look at creating a sustainable community, not just a single uh, structure or, or a single home? Well, yeah. So um, the individual house, we, we were always really interested in, uh, in sustainable building. You know, what does that word even mean really at this point? Everyone uses it all the time, but what, for us, it was really just about it means the thinking. Efficient. It means thinking about things, right? <laughs> thinking like yeah, intentional right. about what you're building really at the end of the day. Uh, cool. So, I mean, what, talk a little bit about, you know, the difference between having a single uh, you know, home and, and some of the features that, that you already talked about sustainability wise, um, and then versus having 22 and what are some things you can scale and, and how does having an entire community focused on minimalism and sustainability, what, what are some of the things you can realize um, in a, a bigger development like that? Well, I mean, the first thing I guess is just anything at scale is going to be less expensive to build. Um, you know, we were able to order. Uh, so one of the things we did really is each of our houses has the exact same finishes. It has this exact same siding. It has the exact same uh, materials. Um, you know, we did that because of simplicity. One, it's much more simple to build. Once the subcontractors have built uh, a couple of them, they, they uh, you know, we went from it taking, oh boy, geez, it, the first one I think took seven months um, to build. Um, and originally we were prefabricating them and I was having someone else build them uh, in Albany, uh, Nathan at Tiny Smart House. Hmm. Um, you know, but we started the cost of that and, you know, not Nathan's fault at all, the cost of that for delivering it on a truck and craning it onto the foundation, um, it just didn't make sense. And, uh, you know, so that house took, uh, I think it took six or seven months to build. Um, yeah. You know, by the time we were on our, you know, 10th house, it was two and a half months to build the houses. Wow. Um, so that that's something that makes, you know, labor cost comes down. Um, and then the materials, we were able to, you know, find uh, companies for, you know, tile or, or countertops or whatever it might be and say, hey, guys, we're going to do 22 houses, um, you know, so, you know, we'd get good breaks. And so the, the finishes could be of a, a little bit better quality. Nice. Um, yeah. And then the other thing is, you know, we have two community gardens that are there. Um, people share that stuff uh, so that, you know, it's not like one person, uh, each person has a garden, uh, but they, they can, they can have uh, access their community garden. Um, yeah. I'm just trying to think the other things that, that really the, have did a you bunch guys of them. Do, did you guys do solar um, or any like, community rainwater collection or any, right. any um, you know, water, water collection or water recycling on a, on a community level at all? No, we didn't. And um, this gets, this gets into a couple different things. One is our, our lot was really skinny. Uh, we just mm -hmm. didn't have the, the space really to, to do that. Um, we do have some of the houses had individual solar on the roofs. Um, the last house we did 
Um, we really worked at that one and we're able to make it a zero energy house that it supplies more uh, energy through the solar than it uses. Um, nice. So we're really proud of that. But that that took a while for us to kind of figure that that whole formula out. Sounds like you really um, perfected that process along the way. If it took you seven months and then you ended up with the last one at a, a you know zero energy ready, like that's great. What a, what a great learning curve to have done just in the yeah, time of one yeah, development. And, yeah. And, and the house has changed. I mean, when we, and it, it was, it was hard when we changed stuff cause it, it would invariably uh, screw up kind of <laughs> whoever was doing that part would forget that we'd change things and what have you. But yeah, by the time we got down to, you know, 15, I think the 15th house or something, we were, we had done a lot of small, just some really small changes and large changes that, that I think just made that space live really well. Design changes mainly or materiality or. Um, yeah, there was a lot. So one of the big, one of the big design changes is once we, uh, you know, the first two houses were prefabricated. Um, mm -hmm. So they were, um, you know, they were 14 feet wide, um, but they couldn't be over 13, nine uh, to be able to come down the highway to be delivered from, uh, where a tiny smart house was in uh, in Albany to Bend. Um, so our loft uh, bedroom um, was only four and a half feet tall at the tallest point. Um, once we decided to site build them, you know, the designer Christian and I looked at it and we we're like, hey, I mean, the first thing we should do is make this at least six feet. Um, so we we made the loft larger. Um, we also had a code change that happened at that point, a building code change. Uh, we were under, um, here we go again with code, but we were under uh, Fast forward the, time, guys. a pre- <laughs> fast forward uh we're in this prefab code that would only allow for one loft so the hiatus has a sleeping loft that's open to the rest of the area um but the the bathroom had a loft above it uh that we were not allowed to have a ladder to we weren't allowed to have a window and it. it had to be basically attic space because mm -hmm. that code didn't allow for a second loft well once we uh site, decided to site build them we started to use appendix q um appendix q and and doesn't doesn't have a uh a restriction of lofts. So then that secondary loft, we were able to open up, uh, we cut basically a big uh, hole in the, in the wall above, uh, above the kitchen uh, mm -hmm. so that that loft is open to the rest of the space. We added a window and we added a really cool ladder that kind of um, tucks back against the wall. Um, and that, I mean, that added like, you know, a hundred and some square feet of space. Um, we have a family of four that's living in one of these houses. Um, you know, that's they have awesome. two kids and, and uh, they seem to be doing pretty good. <laughs> what is the the final square footage of as you were as you were changing it over time it ends up being 598 square feet uh okay. at the end of the day and what's funny is even the code changed um you know some of the code uh includes the lofts and some some doesn't so uh it's been funny that way like the the same house can be assessed differently but uh livable space at this point is 598 square feet that's awesome um what What's next for you guys? I mean, uh, I'm curious, like, are you already talking to people about additional um, developments? Uh, are you rethinking design at all? Are you like uh, looking for the perfect yeah, property or just sort of waiting for the right opportunity to come along? Um, yeah, you go, uh, we just finished our new website. I think it was even yesterday or something. But if you oh, go fantastic. to Hyatt's Homes, uh, Homes.com and check it out, um, you'll kind of see what our what what we've kind of morphed into, and that's that we look at the hiatus 600 square foot model as as a studio. Uh, we've designed another model uh, uh, which we call a two bedroom because it's a two bedroom two bath. It's basically the hiatus that's two stories. We added a bedroom below it, we added a bedroom behind it, and we added a garage um, cool. for a total of 900 square feet uh, with a 300 square foot garage. 
Um, we were able to find some land. Uh, actually, it's blocks away from my house, weirdly. Uh, we're doing 10, uh, 10 houses there uh, for our two-bedroom model. Um, the model, we're, we're platted now, or we will be hopefully tomorrow. Uh, we have the plat, which is the 10, 10 lots, and we were able to already start um, the model home, which is uh, in the rough end stage right now. Because um, it's never been for me about um, – about the trailer. I think the trailer is where a lot of the innovation came from. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's really the, the larger picture to me uh, is, is square footage is just people living in smaller homes, you know, so we're really concentrating on uh, having three types of, of kind of uh, models that we do the studio and the two bedroom that I mentioned. Um, we also are in contract on a piece of land here in Bend that's uh, zoned that we would be able to do uh, uh, micro apartments, which uh, basically will be um, the hiatus interior design, and there would be uh, somewhere between 30 uh, and 40 of those. That's very up in the air. It's very controversial. The the city is is right now. Um, we've I've worked the, uh, with the city uh, to write the code that is being presented to the city council. There's a lot of opposition to the micro apartments. A lot of people are like, "Screw you! I don't want to have a dorm room uh, next to my you know 3,000 square foot house." But I'm convinced that if we're doing affordable by design. Um, being able to have that many units uh, for people that that are willing to live in that space is 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 the future of that for sure. Yeah, that's cool. Um, there's a lot of that going on, you know, here in in a, a more urban environment on a really big scale. I'm curious what. So is it still, uh, you know, like volume wise, is it is it basically a uh, an apartment building looking thing, or is there some difference about how it's constructed? Uh, that makes we, it unique. Yeah, I mean, we stepped back the, so it's three stories and, and we basically stepped back each level so that you don't just have this, uh, you know, this this three story, you know, whatever, block. however, yeah. yeah, block that's right in, you know, um, because these are meant to try to go into and fit into bend. Um, and so we, we stepped it back. So basically, you know, the first story, uh, the second story guy, um, you know, his deck is on the roof of the, the guy in the first story. And then, and then the third story is the roof of the second story, common, uh, common kitchen and living room on two of the, two of the levels. Um, you know, and this is really in the pr preliminary stages, but so was the cottage code at some point, you know, we were able to use the cottage code and it worked and, yeah. you know, we think the micro apartment code will, will do the same thing. That's awesome. Um, are, do you know if that, I mean, I, I've heard that that's trending in a lot of areas. Are there other, do you know, are there other micro apartments or is this the first? Yeah, in, no, in, uh, Bend? in Bend, in Bend, it would be in uh, Seattle. Um, I think they call them small, uh, small efficiency units in Seattle. Mm -hmm. um, but they've been doing it there. They're, they're all over. I mean, a, a lot of the larger cities have done it. Um, but yeah, it's a good point to bring up. Uh, you know, it has to be in scale with, with where Ben's at, you know, we're a hundred thousand people. We're not, you know, 2 million. So do we need to have a nine story, uh, 100 square foot apartments? I don't think so, yeah. but sorry, we got a, we have a bunch of fires going on, uh, outside of town. I think that's a helicopter. Anyways. Oh, man. Um, yeah. So the, um, uh, so yeah, I think that, you know, I think that the 400 square foot, footprint that the hiatus is will work really well as a micro apartment. I mean, it'll be a large micro apartment, but um, I think it'll work really well in Bend if we stay at that size. If we go too small, I just, I don't think it's the right, I don't think it's the right fit for this, this town. So uh, I love what you guys are doing. The micro apartments is, is neat that you were taking that in, in consideration, you know, like what is the proper size for the market here? Um, 
and what I think we talked a little bit about before this, about some of the things you did to, you know, not only you're focused on minimalism and providing uh, units for or, and homes for people to move into, but also uh, minimizing waste. That's sort of another aspect that ties into the sustainability conversation. Um, what did you guys do or what were you able to do with uh, minimizing waste other than the basic fact that you're building smaller homes? So there's less waste in construction to begin with. <laughs> um yeah, I'm, I don't remember the exact statistic, but uh, construction waste makes up a huge portion of our landfills. And um, here in town, there's uh, uh, Phil Torchio, Torchio, sorry. He, um, uh, he used to work for me, helped me build the, um, build the tiny tavern, but he saw this, um, he saw this thing happening at one of our, uh, our concert venues where if, if, the, um, if in the recycling bin there's any trash, they can just uh, they can just throw all of the recycling away, and so this was happening. Like he was seeing this, he took yeah. photos of it and stuff. They were just literally throwing all the recycling in the dumpster. Um, so he started this company called Broomsman, and he built these really cool looking recycling um, uh, containers. And at the concert, he would have uh, his staff would be there, and when you went to throw something away, they were right there to say, "Nope, that goes there. Nope, that goes there." Um, and he does it for fire camps and stuff now. But the other thing that he does is he does it for uh, construction sites. So oh, wow. he'll set up, um, he'll set up uh, basically these big corrals and, you know, a big portion of what you have there is, is, is wood. And you also have cardboard. Those are the two big things that you can recycle uh, mm -hmm. easily. Um, and so he sets those corrals up. You just have to train your subs to make sure that, you know, they're throwing away what needs to be thrown away. And, um, and they're uh, they're putting the cardboard and the and the wood where it needs to be. And then when his crew shows up, if they the subs haven't done a good job of that, they finish it off and then they take it to the landfill, put the stuff in the landfill that needs to be there, and then uh, you know recycles the wood and the and the cardboard. So that's been a cool program. Um, but uh, yeah, that's one of the things we've been doing to try to you know eliminate waste. The other is just how you design your stuff and how you build your house. You know you really try to use dimensional lumber. You try not to have a bunch of uh, a bunch of scraps uh, when you're done building. You want you know, one for just the cost of building uh, lumber is so expensive these days, um, but also just for uh, just for waste, uh, trying to really be conscious about um, about not having a lot of scraps left over is also an important thing. So basically, you know, you're using 12 foot boards, you know, make a, a 12 foot wide structure, you know, th that that sort sure. of thing. Is that, that yeah. where we're going with that? Yeah, that's the nice. idea. Nice. But yeah, I love, I mean, overall, just minimalism. This is really the first time on the podcast we've talked specifically about minimalism other than some, some interior design stuff. And I love how the idea itself is, you know, a waste reducer um, and an energy reducer. And, you know, really that's, that's, I guess, the theme <laughs> of our, of our little conversation today is, is yeah. just that if you, you know, look at how much space you actually need rather than what you think you need or, you know, because you have all this stuff and you got to have a basement for storage and whatever, like how often do you really use any of those things? And how often do you say that you want to, you know, be outside more and hike more and, and right. exercise more and all those things. And so the, the world's our oyster. And if our home, my home's only a 400 square foot home happens to be an apartment, but um, we like living here and it keeps us from accumulating all that stuff. Yeah. Um, can you, you know, just, I guess if you had to sum up, um, you know, going from LA and it, you were already on this path with minimalism, you, you discussed at the beginning, but if you had to sum up sort of your journey, um, you know, since being in LA to, to now, 
you know, what, um, what's the thing that excites you most about maybe the next five years or the next 10 years um, in development and, you know, society and, and, and people really. Um, yeah. I mean, I th- we're, we're at a really weird time to be talking about any of this stuff, I guess, because of, of the virus, because of our, uh, our rioting that's happening because of our political situation. There's a, there's a lot of turmoil going on. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I think that um, the, the minimalism thing is just a really interesting uh, way to look at your life and how you, how you function with the rest of the people around you. And um, to be able to really stop and kind of say, hey, what do I really need? Like, what, what is it that I really need to, to you know, be happy or uh, to do the things that I like to do? Um, you know, no, it's, it's, everyone's rushing around. It's hard to stop and, and really ask yourself those questions sometimes. And, you know, for me, um, I, at one point had a chance to stop and do that. And I felt like I didn't, I didn't need too much. And that's when I got, got to the tiny house on wheels. Um, but then, uh, I met someone and we had a baby and now I have a family and my garage is full of stuff too, you know, and it's, uh, <laughs> it's a constant battle. And, um, sure. I am, I am absolutely not a, a person that, that, uh, preaches to people. I think it's got to work for a person. Um, not everyone is going to fit in a 400 square foot house and that's okay. Yeah. Um, but if we can have people at least think about it and look at it a little bit more, um, and see what they can reduce. Um, I think that's helpful. Um, you know, I'm not asking everybody to live in a 400 square foot house, but, um, do you need a 5,000 square foot house? Maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> well, and, and the reality of it is if you're talking about existing building stock, there's plenty of big, big homes out there, you know, right. for, for people to, to buy and move into. And, uh, you know, yeah. that we're not, we're not, in a shortage on that. Um, maybe we're in a shortage on smaller, uh, smaller developments and, and smaller structures. Yeah, we, abso- we absolutely are. There's um, the, the Smithsonian um, had a, uh, um, had an exhibit on, on small houses, micro apartments, tiny houses, that whole thing. And on the front of the website, it, it talked about how um, things have really changed since, uh, since, you know, the 60s and the 70s and even the 80s, um, where most of the people that were buying homes were, you know, uh, two people and a couple kids. And so the three bedroom, two baths, man, that's, we just went to town on having three bedroom, two baths everywhere. Hmm. Well, now, according to them, the statistics show that, you know, over half the people that are trying to buy homes, you know, are single or they're a couple. Um, and they don't need a three bedroom, two baths. So the inventory just doesn't support, you know, who, who's buying houses. And, you know, we're trying to change that a little bit uh, with the type of houses we're supplying. That's awesome. Um, thanks for coming on and sharing your story and your experience. Hey, what a pleasure. Yeah. Some, some fun ideas. Uh, the more ideas, the more innovation, uh, the better as far as I'm concerned. Um, anything else you want to throw out there, uh, websites, any, you know, any, any way people can contact you if they're interested in, in this sort of thing, uh, if they're interested in your designs specifically, um, yeah, for sure. Just go, go check out our new website, hiatushomes.com. Uh, hiatus, like you're going to take a hiatus from your life, uh, <laughs> homes.com. Uh, um, uh, it's a new website. I'm sure there's some really bad spelling errors in there. I'm a horrible speller. but um, So give us some slack there. But yeah, come and check out our, our, our developments that we're working on. And um, there's an email on there. I'd, I'd love to hear from people and uh, hear what they're doing. And um, yeah, man, it's really been a pleasure. I appreciate what you're doing and trying to, you know, get the word out on all this stuff. So I appreciate your time. Thanks, Ian. Yeah. Thank you, Jesse. Uh, have a great day. Mm-hmm.